Welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm assistant sports editor Mark Faulkner, joined by beat reporter Ted Colfin. Coming up, we'll hear from former Red Wings center Mark Curtin, who was diagnosed with ALS in 2018 and is now an advocate for ALS awareness and finding a cure for Lou Gehrig's disease. But first, Ted, last night in Nashville, the Red Wings with one of their worst games of the year, a 7-1 loss against the Predators. Jeff Blaschel sure wasn't happy. Here's what the Red Wings coach had to say about the game. You know, I just thought we had too many no-shows tonight, too many guys that uh, didn't bring their A or B or C game. Um, so when you have that many no-shows, it's hard. Uh, you know, a few guys going, but overall, no. We actually started the game. I thought our first three shifts were great. They were exactly what we wanted to do. Then all of a sudden, we give up a you know, a two-on-one goal out of, out of really nothing. It shouldn't have happened. Um, so... Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's puck management or maybe better term puck execution. Like we'd have the puck on our stick and we got to, you got to be, you know, we're on a three and two rush. We get nothing out of it constantly. You know, you got to be able to execute and make a play. Had too many no shows, no A, B or C game. The first four goals in eight minutes. The first goal, Troy Stetcher, who was minus four pinch, Darren Helm failed to cover Little Caesars, Rocco Dramaldi. The second goal, a lazy tripping penalty by Anthony Mantha. Power play wrist shot goal by Eli Tolvanen from the faceoff circle. The third goal, Thomas Grice nonchalantly passed the puck to Patrick Nemeth, who was already covered 3-0. The fourth goal, Mark Stahl standing still off his back foot, tried a 100-foot pass that was picked off, and Philip Zadina failed to pick up Grimaldi. That's pretty bad hockey last night, wasn't it, Ted? Yeah, Mark, it was surprising. I mean, you, they had the day off Wednesday, mm-hmm. coming off a subpar effort on Tuesday. And this against the Nashville team that had been on the road for several weeks. Uh, and Nashville just had more energy in both these games. Uh, a lot of mental mistakes, obviously, last night. I don't think anybody saw it really coming. It was a disappointing effort all the way around. And then you head into a back-to-back against Columbus this weekend. Not a lot of time to get refreshed and just correct. I mean, there's there's a lot that need to correct in today's practice here. Uh, but, yeah, basically just a little head-scratching. You would think they'd be motivated here to – considering the way they've been playing. I mean, these three games here have just been – Head scratching in that regard. They have just totally fallen off a cliff after having played pretty good hockey for a mm-hmm. long Ted, after the game, you wrapped up the Zoom call by asking Jeff Blaschel about Thomas Grice, who has received the least amount of offensive support of starting goalies, but the former Islander is now two and fourteen, has lost three straight since beating Dallas, and is three point five two goals against average ranked 62nd among the NHL's 68 goalies. Here's your questions to Jeff Blaschel. Hey, Jeff, you kind of alluded to it a few times in the past, but boy, with some of these some of these games with Greiser and Nett, he just has not gotten much help. He's had, you know, just tough nights, basically. I mean, mentally, you said he's kind of, he's, he's the type that's able to shake it off. But boy, do you think it's going to get to him here at some point? Or it just keeps, it has to keep on shaking it off or what? 
we have to. You know, he has to. Um, he's got to find a way to shake it off. We had, he has no choice. Uh, we have no choice. Um, you know, has it been hard? Absolutely. Is it? Is, can it be defeating? Absolutely. Can it be frustrating? Absolutely. But you, you know, you got to dig in, and that's just the reality of it. We got to dig in as a team, uh, and he's got to dig in as an individual and, and focus on what he can control. And that's the the tomorrow. There's not one thing we can do about going back. Uh, we'll learn from it. We'll address it, and then we got to focus on tomorrow. Do you think you guys took any step forward offensively, you think, tonight? I mean, you got the one goal, but, I mean, what no, did you no. that part of the game? I don't think we took anything but total steps backwards tonight. Fair enough. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Yep. Ted, as you said, two games this weekend at Little Caesars Arena, Saturday, Sunday against Columbus, both 3 o'clock starts. Would you start Thomas Grice tomorrow, see how he does, and maybe come back with Calvin Pickard? And any other lineup changes or trade deadline rumors? I'll tell you, Mark, first off, as far as the goaltending, in a particular way, you almost have to feel for, for Grice, Thomas Grice. He is just, he's that baseball pitcher who doesn't get any run support. <laughs> a goaltender on this team who doesn't get any offensive support. He hasn't helped his own cause either for on numerous nights he just you know he hasn't been as sharp as he was with the islanders the last couple of years but boy oh boy after a couple of these recent games you really do have to wonder where his mind is at he's like last night you really can't couldn't blame him too much for mm-hmm. those i mean the, the 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 defense in front of him was not very good but uh yeah you wonder how he's gonna hit mentally he's heading into this weekend i mean I, Frankly, I would think you'd have to play both of them because I don't think they have a, you know, I don't think they have a lot of confidence in Calvin Pickard at this point. Mm-hmm. Rice gets straightened out, so I don't know. That, that will be interesting to watch here going forward. And there's no sign of Jonathan Bernier on the immediate horizon. So mm-hmm. Thomas Grice is going to get a lot of action here, and somehow or other, in a short period of time with not a lot of practices, he's going to get straightened out here uh lineup changes there's only so much you can do i mean mm-hmm. you bring up people from grand rapids like giovanni smith maybe that maybe that kind of stirs the pot a little bit found it interesting last night that dennis chalowski became a healthy scratch pretty yes quick. Mm-hmm. back in juice into the lineup so they've gone that route and maybe you know that didn't work out as great as they thought it was going to be right off the bat Maybe you bring Chalowski back in. Um, who else is there in Grand Rapids? That's another issue. There's not a ton of people in Grand Rapids that you know they would like to get a look at right now or need to take a look at. Do you bring in those veterans back in, like Franz Nielsen and Valtteri Filpula? Does that oh, add right, it? Right, yeah. I mean, that's a possibility. I mean, they haven't seen any action in weeks, it feels like. So there are options, but I'm not sure how much that really does. As far as the trade rumors, I mean, one interesting point about last night, Mark Stahl injured in the third quarter. Third quarter, I'm sorry. I was looking at the at a football highlight on the, <laughs> the third period. He didn't come back out with a – they called it an upper body injury. Splash mm-hmm. said after the game that was more precautionary than anything. I think that'd be. I think Mark Stahl is going to be one of the key pieces here in the next week or two. I think he could help a team. Uh, he's played. I think he's played somewhat above expectations. I think he can really help a contender here 
in the waning weeks and in the playoffs, a team like Boston, Philadelphia. Uh, so that that's one piece. Uh, hopefully, for their sake, he didn't it wasn't too banged up last night. Doesn't sound like it was. He was. And then, like we had been talking about, you wonder about Jonathan Bernier. I mean, mm-hmm. does this injury scare some teams off? I would imagine it might. So if he can get back before the deadline on the 12th, we'll see about that. And there's one rumor emanating out of Edmonton today that maybe the Oilers are concentrating on Luke Glenn-Denning. So we'll see about that. I mean, mm-hmm. he could, with that salary cap hit, I would imagine he'd be manageable in terms of that, and the Oilers have kind of are kind of specific in their needs. They want a penalty killer, a good penalty killer, a good faceoff man. Uh, what they're looking for, Luke, Luke Glendening has all the variables, so that'll be interesting to watch too. And I'll be just curious league wide to see how active this deadline is going to be. I mean, there's so many factors. You do wonder if it's going to be nearly as action-packed as it has been in the last little while seems like every year there's more anticipation for it but you really get the bang for the buck it seems like a lot of teams shy away and do a lot of their stuff at the draft these days but it'll be interesting ted one final stat before our interview the wings last night had only three players in the lineup who are 23 and under philip heronic philip zadina and Michael Rasmussen. You just mentioned Dennis Cholosky. He's 23. Dylan Larkin, by the way, he's 24. Now, if you add up the points of Ronick, who leads the team in scoring, Zadina and Rasmussen, you get 34 points. And in comparison, the Devils are number one with 115 points from players 23 and under. The Senators have 89 points. The Canucks, Hurricanes, Blackhawks, 87 now, in a few years, Steve Eiserman will have one of these young, exciting lineups with players under 23, like New you Jersey. Hope. Well, <laughs> you <it's>, hope. <laughs> well, maybe in a couple of years, like next year, right, it won't be right. dramatically different, right? You'll have Nemesnikov and others back if they're not dealt like you were saying. But hey, Mark, what, what does that tell you? What's the first word? I don't know. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? That, that is an interesting stat. What does that bring to mind as far as you're concerned well the first thing i think of too ted is that these aren't the best teams the two best teams are colorado and tampa bay and they don't have to put a lot of players 23 and under correct but if i'm a hockey fan in new jersey ottawa vancouver carolina and chicago you're playing young players and they are doing well the devils have 115 points the wings have 34 the wings are the second it's just really stark it really is, Ted. And again, the Wings are playing, they're managing the puck well, and they're being coached well, and they play fast, and they're better defensively. But there's limitations, right? Because the Devils are just stacked, and they're playing all these young players. And Steve Eisenman will put some of these young players into the lineup eventually. But this is what you see is what you get right now. You know, another interesting, I was talking about it, recently with someone mark some of the better performances this season some of the performances that at least have have gotten the wings to mediocrity to a certain extent yeah yeah have been the stopgap measures oh absolutely Absolutely. mark stahl uh the mestakanov has had moments uh gagne not often on bobby ryan's played well for the most part yeah 
And that is somewhat concerning that some of the better players, so to speak, have been these stopgaps. Mm-hmm. You're not getting much out of Anthony Mantha at all. Dylan Larkin has been somewhat off pace. Uh, Aronics played well. But yeah. There was still another level maybe that people expected out of him this year. Philip Zadina, like you said, bef- like a phrase you used before, it is what it is. I mean, he's had a yeah. deep year, but I don't think it's been an overwhelmingly successful year. So it is somewhat concerning that it's been those stopgaps that have kind of, for what compared to last year, have at least have kind of risen this team upward a little bit this year. And don't want to say it's not a good sign, but it's like it's a little somewhat disappointing sign, I would think. Yeah, it's an interesting observation, Ted, that the older players are playing really well. They're making good, smart plays, even though Stetcher was minus four last night. And That's another them. one, right? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Merrill, they all make good, quick plays, and they make the professional plays more often than last year. Anyway, time now for our interview. Today's interview is with Mark Curtin. Joining us now is Mark Curtin, a former Peterborough Pete Center who played in Detroit right before another former Peterborough Pete Center, Steve Eiserman, was drafted by the Red Wings. Mark, welcome to the podcast. And what was it like in Detroit before Steve Eiserman came to town? Back then, the Wings were known as the Dead Wings. They missed the playoffs 15 of 17 years. And the Illiches bought the team in June 1982. And the rest is history, four cups in 11 years. But you were there just before Steve Eisenman arrived. Yeah. What was that like? Do you know what? We, when I first got there from Toronto mm-hmm. um, and Wayne Maxner was coaching, we had a collection of, of very good players, like players that had a lot of experience on different teams and what have you. So, you know, we all thought we could all pull together on the same rope mm-hmm. and have some success. I mean, there was thousands of games with Peter Mahovlich and Errol Thompson and Polanich and all those guys. But for whatever reason, we would have little surges of success, but we weren't consistent. Uh, and we weren't all pulling on the same rope, and therefore we struggled. And I think it got to the point where, uh, where the ownership, uh, when it changed, they mm-hmm. decided they were going to do a rebuild. And, uh, and so a lot of us got caught in that, in that rebuild. But when Stevie came, you know, uh, they, they now had somebody they could build around mm-hmm. and, uh, they built their core and they added their pieces and the rest is history. So it was just one of those things that when, uh, you know, Smitty and Woodsy and I were all there that we got caught in the crossfire somewhat, you know, of the rebuild. You know, I talked to one of your former teammates, uh, Brad Smith, Motor City Smitty. He's now the head of pro scouting for Joe Sackick's. Colorado Avalanche. And Mark, Brad Smith says that you were underrated, a better two-way center than you were given credit for, a good defensive player, like a lot of Peterborough players, like Steve Eisman, where they played four lines, lots of defense. Yeah. But he, um, Brad said you were also a pretty good offensive player. In your 256 career games, you had 113 points. And in your second year in Detroit with Wayne Maxner, in 74 games, you had 42 points. You talked mm-hmm. earlier when we were uh, discussing your career in Detroit about being typecast and, and winding up perhaps in a role where you think you're better suited or you're not better suited. What are your thoughts about that two-way game, Mark? Well, I, I think that I think what happened was Wayne Maxner had seen me play junior because he was coaching in Windsor, mm-hmm. and, and he saw that I had the ability to score as well. And so he gave me every opportunity to uh, – 
be an offensive player and a defensive player. In other words, I was, uh, uh, you know, a lot more power play duty and what have you. So, uh, you know, it's as I said to you off the air, you know, you, you kind of fill a role, whatever mm-hmm. you're typecast. And if you do uh, get that extra ice time, uh, you know, you're going you're gonna to perform and you're going to put the points on the board. And that's what happened my first couple of years there. And, uh, and then when the rebuild took over and the new coaching staff came in and what have you, then, uh, you know, there was players like me, they got pushed to the side, um, you know, more into the, the checking type cast and then, mm. and then right out and traded. So, you know, you have to have somebody in your corner that puts you in that position that you can have success, right? And I had that in the beginning in Detroit. One more hockey question, Mark. Your other line mate was Paul Woods, who is now Ken Cowles, color analyst on radio. What was it like when you and Brad Smith and Paul Woods would go up against some top lines, especially Wayne Gretzky's line with the Oilers, oftentimes with Yari Curry? I can remember Gretzky after games. He was so frustrated because Paul Woods would follow him around the ice and the Oilers would often win, of course, and Gretzky would be – he might have had an assist mark or something, but was Gretzky the best player that you ever faced? I would say so. Um, you know, in Detroit, you're right. We were a, we were a checking line, but you know, the positive about being a checking line mm-hmm. is that you get a lot of ice time. Sure, because they get a lot of ice time. And uh, and and playing with uh, Brad and, and Paul, we had really good chemistry. I, I think there was a stretch in Detroit. Um, I don't know if they'd ever record this, but. I think that there was about five games in a row at home. We scored the first shift mm. and uh, I don't know that they have that in the record books or not, but we, we enjoyed it. But the point is when you're, when you are a checking line, yes, you're playing against the top lines and uh, it, it does make it difficult. Uh, but I can tell you um, in later years in Vancouver, there was Tiger Williams and I and Ron, uh, Ron DeLorme mm-hmm. and in our division, we had to play um, Gretzky eight times, uh, the, the, the triple crown in L.A. with Marcel Dion three times, uh, <laughs> Kent Nilsson in Calgary, and then Howard Chuck in Winnipeg. So I remember Tiger saying to me, like, you know what? That's like um, we're talking about eight, we're talking about 30, 32 or no, 40 games where we're going to struggle in the plus minus because what are you going to do against lines like that? And then you end up playing against Trache's line and Gillies. So, you know, I, I think I enjoyed it to be honest with you, Mark. I really did. Mm-hmm. I like being a checking center because I know that Paul and Brad and I um, really got a lot out of stopping a line like that. And if we were ever getting a bonus goal, um, we were really on top of the world. And I, I think we had a lot of success, the three of us. And then Paul and I also killed penalties. Uh, we, we lived four houses down from each other up in Pontiac. Um, so we became very, very good friends. And we would invite uh, Brad up every once in a while for, <laughs> as, for the big uh, major wiffle ball games, of course, that, uh, you know, uh, Paul and I were a different level than Brad was. <laughs> But at the end of the day, uh, he tried his hardest. And Mark, the other topic I wanted to talk to you about was your ALS diagnosis in April 2018. Here in the U.S., there's 5,000 new cases a year, 15 per day. There's at least four FDA-approved drugs, but no cure. 
What was it like when you and your wife, Lisa, were first diagnosed? And, and how are you doing now, Mark? You know, you know it, it was definitely a really tough day. I mean, we, we were both in somewhat denial, probably more me than, than her. Mm-hmm. But um, at the end of the day, you know, um, when you get told something like that, you have two choices. You can either bury your head and get depressed and, and uh, you know, cry it out. Or you just say, hey, look, it's what I've been dealt with, uh, you know, I've got to make the best of it and I've got to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So I chose the second way. And, um, you know what, um, at the beginning it wasn't like it, 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 it didn't progress very quickly with me and ALS hits everybody differently. Some people get it the worst way, which is down the front mm-hmm. called bulbar, which is what, uh, um, uh, greens got from new Orleans saints and some of the other guys. But I just have it in, I have it in my arms and my hands and my legs. Uh, So uh, I have been on a treatment for two and a half years. There's only two treatments out there, um, Rylatec and Adaravone. Adaravone's out of Japan. It's supposed to slow the progress. But I mean, no one knows for sure, eh, Mark? Sure, sure. um, But at the end of the day, if it keeps it out of my frontal area and the respiratory and all that, then, then I'm good, right? So um, I will tell you this, though. Um, when, when somebody gets diagnosed with this, it's not just them. It's the family. You know, it's really, really tough because they become caregivers on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's harder for them mentally and physically. Um, so when people say that Mark's got ALS, it's not just Mark. Mark's family's got ALS is the way I look at it. And, and the, other, the other thing that bothers me that I've straightened out on the Twitter scene, mm-hmm. because I am quite active out there on that, is, um, you know, I, I correct people all the time that I know there's no cure, but I'm not dying of ALS. I'm living with it. And there's a big difference there too, right, Mark? You know, um, I follow a podcast um, written by Kelsey Snow, who is the yeah. wife of the assistant GM of the Calgary Flames, Chris yeah. Snow. Chris and Snow, yeah. Yeah, and you know, Kelsey also, she has a blog, which I've followed, and she has a podcast as well. And yeah. It's called Sorry I'm Sad. It's a podcast yeah. about grief, loss, and the importance of hope. And yeah. she spoke to that subject even in the, in the podcast I listened to last night, Mark, that yeah. it's important the days that you have. It can be a cliche, but oh, yeah. there's still many, many years of, of, of good times and memories. And so I think that's what, what you just sort of summarized, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I know Kelsey uh, very well and Chris because obviously I talk to them a lot. And um, you know what? We all – it's amazing. I'm part of a group uh, – ALScanada.org and uh, we're making a lot of headway. I mean, this is unprecedented times for ALS and uh, we're making a lot of ALS awareness. We're after the government for faster pathways for drugs because right now, you know, they find a magic drug in the U S let's say, you know, by the time it goes through FDA and health Canada and provincial, Mm -hmm. it's two and a half years. And the lifeline of this illness is two to five years for a lot of people. Um, I'm going to say not me because I plan on being around 10, 20 years from now. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, um, you know, there's, we've never, ever been uh, where we are today. 
And, and even in Major League Baseball that introduced the Lou Gehrig Day, which is June 2nd, is a huge day for us for awareness and stuff. So I, I think, and, and, and there's, 100, there's 180 trials going on around North America, hmm. uh, 54 Healy trials in the States. So I, I think it's just a matter of time till they get really good drugs and, and find a cure for this. And so I think, you know, people like Chris Snow and Kelsey and myself and Green and some of these guys that have some platforms mm-hmm. um, really need to use that platform, uh, you know, to, to get ALS awareness out, out there. And uh, I think that the last time I made a list of everybody that's had this, whether they're alive or past, I was over 60 former athletes that I have ALS, like mm-hmm. 35 NFL guys and, uh, and other sports. So at the end of the day, I think it's time that uh, not only the government stepped up, uh, but I think it's time that uh, professional sport, especially Major League Baseball, you know, which, which I guess someone could say that they're accountable somewhat. I mean, Lou Gehrig is their, their guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's time that everybody steps up and we, we get rid of this, uh, this illness because it's, uh, it, you know, I, I deal, I, I talk on a Zoom once a week with my group. And uh, you know what? They, you know, everybody's at a different stage, right? Some people need oxygen. Other people are like me. Some people can't talk that well and on and on. But man, are they big-hearted people. Mm. It's crazy. Like when someone first gets diagnosed with this, uh, the best person they can talk to is somebody like me. Sure. has been through it, knows the shortcuts, um, you know, whether it's equipment or, or whatever. Because I'll be honest with you, Mark. Like someone told me when I got this, mm. like put aside 200 grand. I said, 200 grand for what? Right. And they said, you're going to need 200 grand to, for equipment. Uh, and for to renovate your house properly, the bathrooms, the ramps, all that. I'm going. There's no way. Well, you know what? It's at least 200 grand. Mm. And and the trick is to stay ahead of the curve. Like when you you know when you you've got to stay ahead of it because if you get caught with your pants down and you can't transfer from a bed to a chair because you don't have the right piece of equipment, you got a problem. So by helping other people that are diagnosed with this. That's, that's one area, yes, and I've got to make a call today about that. Uh, the other way is, is to support each other um, that have this with, with positivity, and that's something that uh, I find that this group, it, it, it's unbelievable mm-hmm. how positive everybody is. You know, it, it's like I don't, I don't see the depression. I don't see all that stuff, which you would think would come with this. But, but, you know, the reality is, Mark, there's no pain. I have no pain. My, my mind is 100%, although some people might not think that. <laughs> but, but you know what? Overall, um, it's just a mobility, um, day-to-day little things. Just can't do them, right? So you need support. But, yes, I'm going to use the platform for sure, and I have been. And I'm going to use it more and more and more. I use it on the Twitter um, I have a couple fundraising ideas, like a virtual concert that I'd like to put together with uh, uh, lots of celebrities that uh, can do 20-second voiceovers Mm -hmm. in between songs to raise money for research on this. And so I want to get into that. That's sort of my pet project. 
because you wouldn't believe some of these people that, like Joe Montana, the old uh, 49er quarterback, well, he lost one of his best friends, Dwight Clark, who, who, who made the catch in one of the sure. Super Bowls. Yep. And uh, uh, Joe Thornton, uh, Jumbo, who's playing for the Leafs, his best friend died of this. Um, uh, here's a, another one, George Brett. George Brett, um, this is his, he's, one of, he's an advocate for ALS, and he's trying to um, uh, create a new fundraiser to follow the ice bucket challenge. And it's gonna call, he's gonna call it uh, the, change, the change in ALS. And what he'll want is everybody in the United States to save their change, right? And put it towards ALS research. Mm -hmm. So there's so many guys out there that I'm gonna get a hold of and, and do their 20 second uh, blurb and see where it goes. So I'm gonna use my, well, try and use the platform best I can uh, to help fight the cause for sure. And Mark, you've never asked why me, right? Uh, you were born in Regina. You lived the dream of many uh, young Western Canadians playing in the NHL for 11 years here in Detroit for a little more than two years. Uh, at Remax, like you said, for 30 years, you've been in the real estate business coming off a good year, a great year before the pandemic. You've got a team, you've got a family around you, and now you're helping others. But do you have any like final thoughts about about where you're at right now. You talked about your mobility. Uh, there's some issues there, but you're trying to stay ahead of the game, some plans for the future and everything. What else do you want our, our, our listeners to know? Well, you know what? It's, um, we've learned to live with it, mm -hmm. even though, and we try not to think, we think into the future, but we try not to think too much into the future. But, um, you know, because it, it can be devastating when, when, you, when you go too far. But at the end of the day, I um, now I used a walker up until a couple of weeks ago, but now I'm not comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. So we're going to bring in the Ironside Raymond Burr um, machine for me to ride around in. And I got my buddies that are going to build a ramp out the back. And, um, you know, so, so life is good overall. And, and uh, yeah, we have a setback here and we can't do much about it, but you know, who knows? I mean, maybe this is uh, the journey that God wanted me to have, right? So you do, you go with the uh, you go with the flow, and uh, um, you know, try and be as positive as you can, and uh, and last as long as you can, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, and but it it uh, it really does, you know. It was funny. Like I mean, yesterday I was thinking. I don't even know how to do it, but I've got to learn on the computer, maybe how to put some of my thoughts on the computer, um, you know, for future when I'm not here for my kids. Mm -hmm. Things like that cross your mind. Um, one of the things I will lose is my voice over time. But I mean, technology in this area, in this field is incredible. Like they, um, they have what's called Dragon. And, and I, an hour a day, I can talk into my computers so that the computer will use my voice mm -hmm. one day when I can't. So there's so many high tech things out there, but as far as the why me goes, you know what? We're all going to get something, Mark, right? It's just right. a question of when. And uh, the way I look at it is there might be worse ways to go than the way I'm going. Right. 
I mean, there, there's people that have ALS that last 20 years. So you just don't know, right? So I, I just try and make the best out of every day. Uh, try and make sure I, I don't lose my sense of humor. I've got a huge support with my family and I've got a huge network of, of friends and, and sports friends and hockey friends. So I've got nothing, nothing to feel sorry for. Mark, thanks for your time today and talking to us about your Red Wings career and updating us and informing us about ALS. If anyone has any further questions about ALS, how to donate locally or volunteer your time here in the area, there's a nonprofit organization, a couple of them. You can contact the Michigan ALS chapter in Troy at 616-459-1900. All the best. And thanks again for your time today, Mark. No worries, Mark. Anytime. Enjoyed it. Our thanks again to Mark Curtin. Ted, two more topics, the Tim Peel fiasco and the NHL draft lottery. You reached out to Tim Peel, who was fired for those on-ice comments last week in Tuesday's game against Nashville. He was caught on a microphone saying he wanted to call a penalty on the Predators. He told you this is a private and personal matter and declined an interview request. You also talked to Red Wings center Sam Gagne about the incident, and here's what Gagne said. Hey, Sam, generally speaking, do you feel like you guys – I mean, you've been around a long time, obviously. Do you feel like you guys have a really good relationship with the refs and all? Yeah, I think so. I, you, know, uh, uh, you know, for myself personally um, – you know they're part of the game as well, and and you know the the amount of you, know, you have played close to 900 games, and you get a chance to to interact with the referees throughout the games, and uh, get a chance to know them. So um, you know, yeah, you do. You know, when when a situation like that, Tim, with Tim, I, I mean, I don't know how many games that I've played in that he's that he's ref, but um, you know, you, you feel uh, you know he's uh, a month away from retirement, so you feel for mm-hmm. for him when obviously. You don't want that to happen, but at the same time, you feel for him to go out that way. So um, just a tough situation all around. Um, you know, you hope that uh, the league ends up getting better for it. And uh, um, yeah. Hey, just one last part, one last one as far as all that goes. I mean, you think this kind of puts some extra pressure on, you know, all these refs coming up here for the next little while here? I mean some of those calls might be closely watched or whatnot? Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure what comes of it. I mean, yeah. um, you know, there, uh, you know, might just be status quo. There might be a phil- philosophical shift. I'm not sure. I think, you know, w- when you look at it, um, most games end up pretty close in penalties, um, even if there's a kind of disparity in in talent or in pressure, uh, in the game. Um, so, you know, like I said, with the Connor McDavid thing, I mean, he generates so much offense and with his speed and he gets hooked and hold, uh, held and, uh, um, you know, he draws more penalties than anybody, but he could probably draw double. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I, I understand, um, you know, the, the thought process behind why the games are called the way they are. Um, and, you know, but, you know, maybe, maybe it's a good thing that this happened and, um, you know, there, there's a, there's a shift, uh, in kind of the thought process behind calling games. But like I said, I mean, the referees, they have a really hard job and 
they have to make judgment calls at really high speeds. And, um, you know, I think for the most part, they, they do a really good job of it. So, um, yeah, it's uh, just a tough situation all around. Sad. any other fallout from this story? Gagne wasn't sure if it'll be status quo the rest of the way when you ask them the question or whether there'll be a philosophical shift in the way penalties are called. Well, what did you think about it, Mark? I thought I was mildly surprised mm-hmm. the uproar. I, I think everybody pretty much suspects there are makeup calls and things along that, those natures. Obviously, you don't want it broadcast on a hot mic over the world. <laughs> and I think that, and you know what, Mark, especially these days. Sure. Online gambling and gambling taking on such a huge, huge role in all this. There's so much interest in that, in the gambling. That really, yeah, you can't have that stuff kind of stuff spoken. And that obviously is a big part of it right there. But just to a certain extent, I was somewhat surprised how that was, that just became such a huge, huge brush fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, no. I mean, you don't like to hear that. I mean, just the inference of something like that. It's unfortunate. And finally, Ted, the NHL draft lottery, if the changes had happened last year, the Red Wings would have had a choice, Tim Stutzel or Lucas Raymond. Stutzel, the German winger, would have joined German defenseman Mo Sider as building blocks for the next 10 to 15 years. Stutzel is third in rookie scoring right now with 19 points for Ottawa. Or Sweden's Lucas Raymond, a Mitch Marner-type player, who will likely form a one-two center punch with Dylan Larkin for years and years. Both choices are good choices. Which player would you have preferred, though? Well, I mean, we really haven't seen Lucas Raymond, obviously, so it's, that's difficult. But I tell you one thing, the Stutzel kid's surely playing well. Mm-hmm. Looks like he's a good pick. But from two years ago, I just want to throw this out, Mark. The, the Russian kid in Minnesota, Kaprizov, or I think he's, that's how you pronounce mm-hmm. it. He's, boy, he's gangbusters. I mean, he is playing really well. I saw a little bit of him the other day. That's going to be a nice, nice addition, nice corner, a cornerstone piece for the Minnesota Wild going forward. And the Wild have won 11 straight at home. They yeah. won that with only 11 shots on goal last night. Kudos to Billy Garen. Billy Garen, absolutely. There. Made a lot of moves over the offseason, a lot of shuffling around, yeah. and great job. I mean, yeah. he found Nice chemistry there. Uh, do I think they're going to win the, you know, the division in the playoffs? I don't. But I think suddenly there's reason to have, be really optimistic about the Wilds' future. That'll do it then for today's podcast, episode 48. For more Red Wings coverage, you can check us out online at DetroitNews.com. You can also find us on our Octopulse Facebook page, on Twitter, Instagram, Instagram Stories, and Snapchat. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll talk to you soon.